we all know that we need to eat lots of healthy leafy greens, that we need to have more vegetables, that we need to eat kind of fermented foods to optimize the health of our gut and have prebiotic and probiotic rich foods, that we can have things like mushrooms and different adaptogens really to support our adrenal function because we're under more stress than ever before. But wouldn't it be amazing if you could find all these things in one easy drink to help you kind of like a I like to think of it as a kind of insurance policy so I still eat all my vegetables and my fruit and all the good things that I need to do but then there are just sometimes those days where you're just rushed off your feet and you don't quite manage to eat as well as you should or you just want to really get extra results and have that glowing clear skin and that's why I love athletic greens so much it is so tasty it's so easy to make it works super well on an empty stomach because it really enriches the health of your microbiome and it tastes amazing. And so it's something that I personally take every single day and they are running an amazing offer for listeners of this podcast. You can get a year's supply of vitamin D and five free trouble packs if you head over to athleticgreens.com forward slash Angela Foster. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Angela Foster. Hitchhiked across America, slept rough, went to Burning Man, went to polyamorous communities, went to meditation centers, went to anything weird and wonderful, all with the goal of trying to find out where was my, where was the place in society that I felt like this is where I fit. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster, the show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, sometimes when you connect with someone, their energy is just so vibrant and so wonderful that you just want to be around them more. And that was definitely the case with today's guest. I sit down with Steve from the Happy Pair duo. Uh, he and his twin brother Dave started out back in 2004. They opened a tiny shop with a dream of helping people to eat more veg. And now fast forward 15 years and it consists of two cafes, a shop in Greystones, 60 different products, numerous online courses, five best-selling cookbooks, a farm, a roastery and a community of over a million people that they're leading to live healthier and happier lives. And his energy is incredible. It's a mission-driven business. And our conversation today is so wide ranging from his relationship with his identical twin brother and how they really support each other, um, how he, how the happy pair came to be and how he went on this journey of self-discovery at the age of 21 and moved away from the kind of masculinity of playing rugby to kind of find himself and what that journey was and where it led him. We talk about cold water swimming. We talk about having fun. We talk about the best forms of exercise. We talk about why plants are so good for you. Um, and healthy we talk about longevity and blue zones and we talk about how to develop resilience uh, and really his best tips for making a success out of any venture that you want to succeed in this is such a fun interview as i say it is packed with content so without further delay let me introduce you now to the lovely steve from the happy there So Stephen, it's so amazing to have you here today. I'm really, really excited uh, to record this interview with you. I'm so inspired by everything you do, everything you share on Instagram. It's all kind of, well, what I love about your content is a, you're imp- inspiring people to eat a healthier life, to take a healthier lifestyle and eat more plant-based foods. But also you're just very real with the whole thing. When I look at your posts around kind of resilience and not going on a busman's holiday and things like that. So first of all, we can dive all into that, but a very warm welcome to the show. Thanks a million, Angela. Delighted to be here. Yeah, it's really cool to have you on. Um, how did the, let's start with, how did the happy pair come about? Because I know it's very kind of mission driven. Yeah, cool. So we're in business 18 years now uh, at the end of this month. So we're, I, I'm, I say I speak often in the plural because I'm an identical twin. So if I do, at least that references it. Uh, but I'm Stephen and my twins, David, and identical twin. We're 99.9% genetically the same. We're technically mirror twins. So I'm left-handed and he's right-handed. Um, so we kind of grew up um, in a family of four boys, went to all boys school, played a lot of rugby, kind of excelled at... Um, macho activities you know playing sport playing rugby playing any any sport we could but it was very masculine in its energy and um, output and um, you know we weren't typically to go to an all-boys school 
it generally is not an environment where guys sit around and talk about their feelings. It's typically guys trying to impress one another to show who's the alpha. So we are pretty good at that. Um, finished school, weren't really sure what we were that interested in and went and studied um, business in university. Um, at the time when we finished university, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were off scratching golf. We were playing baseball for Ireland. We were modeling. We were doing, you know, we were, we were really down the high achievement road that, you know, achievement and material success will bring joy, fulfillment, meaning and happiness. Uh, din, din, din. But on a, on a deeper level, it was kind of, it felt a little bit hollow and it kind of made us question, you know, what are we doing this for? You know, uh, retrospectively, I can articulate that. But at the time, it just it felt a little like there's got to be something more to life. So I remember that um, Christmas, we had just done a marathon previously, like a few months previous. And we, we kind of did a detox for a month. So for that month, we kind of and this is back in 2001. So at the time, detox wasn't a word that was commonly used in our general everyday dialect or everyday uh, language it was it was people didn't know what it was the internet was just coming out you know in terms of its wide range reach so i went down to the local bookshop the library and asked do you have a book on detox because you didn't have the internet um, and they said uh we don't have one in but there's one in dublin and it'll be here in a week and i said great so we got a book on detox read it and, well kind of more skimmed over and kind of realized okay dave we're going to give up eating junk food no sugar and this was a big thing no points that's points of alcohol. <laughs> and we said, okay, great. Okay, cool. Let's do it. So we did it for three weeks because um, we hadn't really trained hugely for the marathon. And uh, we thought if we do this detox, we are going to be incredible. Uh, so we did the detox, did the marathon, all went grand. We finished the marathon and it all felt great. And we felt kind of more ourselves. It kind of gave us one, a sense of purpose. Two, we had more money in our pocket. And two, it felt like for the first time, we were kind of paddling our own canoe. We weren't necessarily going with societal norms because for a 21-year-old to kind of give up alcohol and to start eating healthy for no particular reason was kind of going against the grain. And we felt pretty cool. We felt great. Like not cool as in we're cool people now because we're doing this, but we felt cool because we're good. for ourselves. It felt like this is this is this feels real, although it's hard. And I remember we decided we were going to meet our friends that December. Uh, to go get pissed together as kind of most, well, at the time anyway, that's the way we all socialized. And uh, I remember we hadn't drunk for two and a half months and we'd rock up, me and Dave, delighted, yeah, meeting the lads, you know, and this is real, like a pack of lads. So it's kind of like, you know, small apes um, and kind of all banging your chest and trying to be heroic. And I remember we ordered our first point, stood there at the bar, took a sip or two, just didn't feel right. And we left and went home early. And it was kind of like something had changed in us. And I remember that December deciding to go away traveling. I said it today, Dave, I'm buying a one-way ticket to Canada. Yeah, I want to go and find out, you know, I'm not coming back until I'm happy and you're not coming with me. And as an identical twin, this was like declaring divorce. Um, and Dave, at the time, then he bought a ticket to go to South Africa. He went to explore being a golf pro. And I went to Canada just to explore, I guess, to expose myself to different um ways of life and to remove myself from my societal norms like anyone listening you grow up in your little town you're told by your parents you're told by your teachers you're told by other role models you see in the media as in what you should do to be happy and what it means to be happy and i, I can articulate this retrospectively at the time i was just following my nose it was like i don't feel satisfied i need to get out of here i need to find somewhere where i can just be more socially fluid where i don't have to be i'm stephen flynn identical twin did this in business, did this degree, did this, is good at this, this is the box that I'm in. I wanted to find a new box. Um, and I guess back then there really wasn't social media. So I didn't, you, you weren't, there wasn't this digital shadow that followed you around. There was like, you literally had, you arrived in Canada, it was like, I could have called myself John. I could have, I didn't have to be this rugby playing jock. I could be a hippie. I could be anything. So when I arrived there, I went to Whistler, which is this cool party town. And instead Oh, of I love Whistler. Yeah, beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. stunning. A beautiful it's place. Great at Christmas as well. A beautiful, mm. beautiful place. And, you know, when I was there, I met a guy from Greystones. I didn't have much money. He said I could sleep on his floor. So it was like great. And Whistler, at least when I was there and working there, there was a lot of parties and a lot of people, kind of beautiful people. It was really like, wow, this is cool. And I consciously decided, no, you're not doing that. You've done that before. Like, do something different. So I kind of found a bunch of people who were also interested in food and curious in food. I spent most of my time down in the library uh, borrowing books on vegetarian cooking. 
And I used to kind of hitchhike down to Vancouver, which is about a two hour hitchhike to go get barley. And I'd come all the way back up in the sludge in the rain, all excited. Oh my God, I can't wait to try barley. This is going to be mind blowing. Because we grew up eating a standard meat and two veg diet. So it was like, what the hell is barley? And I'd this is just like such an unusual story of like, you know, rugby player turned, yeah, <laughs> giving, yeah. up, giving up, A, giving up alcohol and now turning like vegan or vegetarian and just researching. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, At 21 as well. Yeah, 21. So like I spent the next kind of few months experimenting with diet and, you know, how it affected the way I felt. Because the first time I remember going eating lunch, so I had like 10 different vegetables thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be like superhuman now. And I'm kind of waiting for it to kick in. When, when, when is this like great feeling going to kick in? You know, this kind of ignorant idea. But I guess it's not one meal that's suddenly going to make you healthy and happy. It's kind of the, the um, cumulative effect of it. Uh, so I spent the next couple of probably the next year just traveling around North America, hitchhiking, doing anything that was weird and wonderful. And largely at the crux of it was diet. I kind of changed my diet from eating a, a standard Irish diet as in meat and two veg, burgers and chips, loads of pints. Didn't really think of what I ate to suddenly eating a, a plant-based diet, to eating a, starting with a vegetarian diet, then going vegan, then going raw vegan, then experiment with fasting, cleansing, enemas, anything weird and wonderful. And I kind of hitchhiked across America, slept rough, went to Burning Man, went to polyamorous communities, went to meditation centers, went to anything weird and wonderful, all with the goal of trying to find out where was my, where was the place in society that I felt like this is where I fit. And I remember maybe, maybe it was six months after that, I was living in France and I was up in Corsica, an island off France. And I'd been cycling around uh, for about a month on my own. Uh, on a bike kind of sleeping rough and I did a five-day water fast up on an, on the top of Corsica and I remember afterwards getting back to um, a city and phoning Dave and I think Dave was in Central America at the time and I called him up and was Dave, Dave, I have this great idea. Do you want to start like a food revolution? And um, yeah, that was kind of the start of the happy pair. It was kind of like there was a local green grocers in our, in our little town in Greystones and I walked in one day and asked him what he sell me in his shop. Um, and that was the start of the happy. And that's where it began. Yeah, it's amazing. And Dave, Dave was on board with it straight away, was he? Because you, you yeah, kind yeah. of went on this journey of self-discovery, uh, which a lot of people don't do that young, right? That's actually really enlightening. How was he when you kind of just called him up after having all these experiences and, and, and approached him with it? Yeah, I think twins, or at least in our experience of being twins, so much of our lives is intertwined. Like so much of what we do happens in sync. So his kind of thing was, yeah, I don't know what you mean by food revolution, but I'm your twin. Of course I'm up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right um, that's so that was, that was really it. I guess we always knew that there's a great synergistic effect of being twins. It's kind of like one plus one can equal five when you're working together. Um, so we found that when we're together, I don't know, you tend to you tend to blow smoke at each other's sail or blow wind at each other's sail and you feel like, oh, great, here we go. It's kind yeah. of exciting and wonderful. That's so awesome. So you started there with the, with the yes, grocers. We, so we started with a fruit and veg shop and it's kind of spawned in many different ways because we've been in business 18 years now. And at the moment we have two cafes, a sourdough bakery, we have two farms. So we have a sprout farm. We have a four-acre regenerative organic farm. We have a coffee roastery. We have about 80 products and about a thousand stores around Ireland. We've written six best-selling cookbooks. We have an app. We have online courses. So the, so the business has kind of gone in many different directions. Yeah, we probably have, a, not probably, we have kind of over a million followers across different platforms and social media. So the business has gone in loads of different ways and it's a wild beast and we love it and we adore it and it's such fun. And it gives us such meaning and purpose. Yeah, and I think the passion really comes through. That's the thing. Like, I can, I can really feel it. Um, I'm, I saw you posting, actually, about, you know, people often give up, right, just when they're so close. And it's almost like when, every, when it feels like things aren't working, and I'm sure you've experienced this along the way, right, to, to manifest that tremendous success, there must have been times where you doubted it. Was it going to happen? Could you really turn it into what you wanted to? Yeah, what would be your advice to, to anyone who's kind of really trying to bring something new out there, something that's kind of their baby that they're looking to develop, and they feel like it's not quite working? Um, how can they kind of dig deep? Yeah, it's kind of like, I, I guess, firstly, I'd say make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, because if it's 
you know, when, when times are tough, if you're only doing it for money, you probably won't persevere unless you don't have any and you've no other excuse. So it's kind of like, if you don't have a plan B, well, then it's like you are all in. So it's to try to kind of move away from having, oh, if this doesn't work, well, I can always get a job in the bank. It's kind of like, no, I can't. This has to work. So then you'll stick through because there was many times, like many, many, many times, like the business has nearly gone under, like so many times. But it's like having... I guess experience it so many times if you can persevere through that moment of like when it's really challenging typically there'll be like a step change suddenly to go like wow i don't know when this is going to happen like i remember back about nine years ago i remember we were having a really tough time like sales were down in the cafe you know it just seemed hard yards like we were struggling to make payroll as it to pay our team you know how are we going to pay suppliers it was just it was hard and i remember at the time we were working on on a cookbook and we went in and met penguin ireland and we kind of agreed we'd do a cookbook and they typically said if you're a chef that has a tv show you'll sell about two thousand copies and lads i know you don't have a tv show and i know your book is vegetarian or vegan but uh we're gonna print six thousand copies and uh you know we'll sell them in your shop over the next 10 years and it's like oh okay yep that's a great idea yeah, and inside, we're quite nervous and really didn't want to let down Penguin because, you know, it was, it always just had this symbol. You know, we grew up reading Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton. It was like, I don't want to let these people down. Uh, and the book came out and it came out at, at around the time when, when we were really struggling, like really having a tough time. And we didn't know what was going to happen with the book. And I remember um, I was away in Spain at the time and I phoned Dave that day. Dave, 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 what's happening? Like, what am I missing? And, and he couldn't get over that someone had got up and driven two hours to get him to write his name in a book. It was like, oh my God, they want me to write my name in a book. It is crazy, couldn't get over it. Uh, and when the book came out within six weeks, those 6,000 copies had sold. And by Christmas, it was the best-selling cookbook. It came out in October. And by Christmas, it was the best-selling cookbook in Ireland that year. And it continued on for another year subsequently as the number one best-selling book or cookbook. So kind of that really was a great, I guess, example of how you, if you can just per persevere through those tough times, like it's often said, like, the, I, I know it's a total cliche, but the darkest hour is just before dawn. And it's similarly, it's so many times, just to be so many times in the cafe where even I could be cooking and you have to have your main egg by 12 and 11.30, you're going, I do not know what way this dish is going to come together. I have a concept. It's all over the place. But you kind of have to just trust the process that come 12 o'clock, it just amazingly comes together. And people ask you, like, what did you put in it? You're kind of like, I'm not quite sure. It just kind of happened. And it's kind of like it's a reminder of just trusting the process that anything worthwhile, there has to be resistance. There has to be obstacles. And if you can just persevere and have the ability to adapt and pivot where required, it's amazing what can be achieved. It is amazing. And I think, uh, I don't know if you, I'm a big fan of Stephen Pressfield. Uh, he wrote, you know, Turning Pro and the War of Art. And okay, he just, sure. in the beginning of the War of Art, he just lists out everything that you'll encounter resistance and how it's this insidious force within, right? The thing is, it's always there, but it's actually kind of inside you more than anywhere else. And anything that's worthwhile doing, well, you'll always encounter resistance, whether that's a mission-driven business or you're just trying to get really good abs, right? Yeah, <laughs> There's yeah, always going to be resistance to the things you you should do and want to do. And that's part of it. I think we have mm. to leave. We've become such a comfortable society that we see resistance or struggle or adversity as bad. It's like, that's part of the process. Anything worthwhile, we need it. And the more we can move towards like, yeah, bring it on. And not in an arrogant kind of macho way, but it's like, you know, not, and I'm not saying to wallow in it, but it's like, the more we can appreciate as part of the process and we understand that this is the journey, this is how we get to where we want to be, the more it's, it doesn't seem like, oh, poor me, I'm struggling. I, th I think that's something at least that I'm, I've been working on anyway. Yeah, for sure. It's harder to do, isn't it? I guess, like when you were talking nine years ago, it's a bit different than when you started out and it was you and your brother and you weren't responsible for anyone, right? Then you have a family and you've got a business and you've got all these employees and you're thinking, God, I might make, might not make payroll. You're thinking about them, their families. You're thinking about your own family. How do you kind of mentally get your, get your head around that situation? Oh, uh, how do I get my head around that? I think it's a, a matter of, there has to be some degree of trust that 
if and trusting your team because now our team has kind of expanded from me and Dave at times it was 200 of us now we're down to about 80 to 100 so it's kind of it feels more smaller and more like I know everyone within the business and um, but I, I guess there's a case of just trusting on what we're doing believing in it and like even the other day we were driving down here to Perville to the offices in Perville uh, that's where I am right now and I remember we were driving down the road in Greystones and there was this, we were, we were driving down, there was kind of music playing in the car and there was someone just shouting and shouting at the top of their voice. I was like, wow, what? Someone shouting about you. Turn over. And there was this girl running down the road, screaming at a bus, which was about 200 meters ahead of her. And she was screaming, stop that bus! And running down, screaming it. And four cars ahead of us started to slow down and she started to run and the bus took off. And the cars actually started to stop to stop the bus and it was just and eventually like her passport fell out her wallet fell out we got into the car to pick up her passport wallet to run and give it to her but it was just such an example of like when you really truly want something and you're willing to risk everything for it you can achieve it but i think so many of us are afraid of it we're waiting for that like you know someone to come and discover us whereas in reality like if we really do want something when we do commit to it and we do kind of put it out there and we do kind of seek support, seek help and like just go for it. It's amazing what one can achieve. And, and at times like that, you got to call friends, you're struggling, you got to call on other people and no one wants to do it. But if you're really committed to what you're doing, you'll always find a way. Imagine there was a way that you could improve the health of your skin and hair and your brain all at the same time in one deliciously tasting chocolatey drink. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Collagenius has landed in the UK. Why am I so excited by this? Because it contains really concentrated sources of lion's mane, chaga and cordyceps. You probably heard that lion's mane can help with BDNF. BDNF is shown, it's like miracle growth for your brain, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and it's been shown to decline with age. So super important that we look after that if we want to look after our smarts. And in Collagenius, each dose contains two and a half grams, 50 to one of lion's mane. That's equal to 200 grams of ground mushrooms. It's also got the equivalent of 300 grams of ground chaga, which is a natural antioxidant to support your immune system and can also help to lower blood sugar and cholesterol. And cordyceps equal to about 400 grams of ground mushrooms. Uh, Cordyceps is amazing for improving exercise performance. Uh, It has anti-aging qualities, anti-inflammatory and helps to improve heart health. And collagen, which can improve the health of your skin, relieve joint pain promote heart health, boost your muscle mass, strengthen your hair and nails, and also prevent bone loss, all in one super delicious chocolatey flavored drink. It's my latest mid-morning drink that I'm having, and I'm absolutely loving it. Now, they've got limited stock here in the UK, so if you head over to buyoptimizers.uk forward slash Angela and enter code Angela10, you will get 10% 10% off Collagenius. Um, that's Angela, sorry, it's buyoptimizers.uk forward slash Angela if you're in the UK. And if you're anywhere else in the world, go to buyoptimizers.com forward slash Angela and just enter code Angela10 at checkout. And you too can upgrade your brain and have a silky smooth, lustrous hair and glowing skin all at the same time. Um, I know that you have a lot of practices as well that you do that actually help with resilience. I mean, getting up and, and swimming in cold water at sunrise, even in the middle of winter in Ireland, I'd say is pretty resilient. As you know, I'm kind of all about biohacking and cold exposure is definitely one of those things. Um, but tell me about that. And because uh, there's a real community around this, right? It's not just actually the cold now, you've got a community around that. Yeah, um, how do you kind of psych yourself up for it? Do you, do, do you use like breath work as a practice when you're doing it or do you plunge it? No, it's not really necessarily about the cold water exposure. It kind of just happened. And um, we were at the time, like, I guess to go back a little bit further, we were back it could have been 10 years ago we were asked to do make juices and smoothies at this tech conference called web summit and it was from the elite part of that called founders and i remember it came in a in a letter not even an email it came back in posts it was about 10 years ago we got a letter in the post inviting us to come make juices and smoothies at this 
at the time, it was called an elite event called Founders at the Mansion House. And I remember going to Dave, we were driving a little red van at the time. It was like, Dave, wow, we're being invited into the Mansion House, like at some elite event. Wow, how cool. And I remember we rocked up in our little vans and we were making juices and smoothies for all sorts of people. And we kind of got chatting to the people. We found out one fellow was some fellow called Jack Dorsey that founded something called Twitter. Didn't know what Twitter was. There was only about 100 people at it. Some fellow Nikolai that founded something called Skype. Some fellow Reed or something like that that founded this thing called Netflix. We didn't know what any of this stuff was because, you know, we're into vegetables and into kind of farming. Um, and we were allowed during the break to go in and listen to the conference. There's only about 100 people at it, so it's very intimate. And I remember at the end of it going, wow, this whole tech thing's pretty sexy, Dave. Like, I wonder, like, maybe we should get phones. So, um, you know, over the next week, Dave managed to get phones and they had cameras in them and we were working out how they worked. And it was like, I must, must try that thing that your man Jack was on about, that thing called Twitter. And uh, we kind of downloaded Twitter and created an account and then started kind of using it a bit and started, we'd often at the time we have, like we both have kids, uh, my, my daughter's 12 and Dave's daughter is 12. And at the time our kids were kind of one and they'd wake up in the middle of the night and you'd be shot to sleep and often you could end at sunrise um, in the summer to walk down and kind of walk them to sleep. But I'd meet Dave and we'd go for a walk and you'd take a picture and put it up um, on Twitter and people would engage with it because you know, picture the sunrise symbolize, you know, hope, new dawn, creativity, potential, nature, all these um, nice ideals. And um, we kind of got in the habit of showing up at sunrise and we'd swim some days and other days we wouldn't. And I was then one September, it was about eight years ago, uh, down at the cove, right at the edge of the steps. And it was kind of a manky bay, it was kind of drizzling and kind of just, it was this northerly wind that would skin you. So it was real cold wind, but there was a nice sunrise kind of one of those autumn sunrise. And I took took the picture and I was, um, you know, I had my tail on togs with me, but I had no intention of swimming. And there was this fella in swimming and he kind of walked up to the top of the steps and he was wearing a real tight pair of togs. He was kind of a big guy. And he said, uh, he kind of looked at us and kind of, you swimming, lads? And we went to an old boys school. So we're kind of susceptible of macho challenges. And um, <laughs> so we kind of banged on our chest and went, yeah. And then we got, um, even though we didn't want it. And um, we came out and we got chatting and he introduced himself as Neil. And um, we kind of chatted a little bit. And then as he was leaving, he said, see you tomorrow, lads. And we said, yeah. even though we were like, oh, I don't want to swim tomorrow. And so we met him the next day. And the next day, then a friend, Caroline, was on the, the beach on the cove and she joined us. And the next day, Hugo Gallagher, another friend, uh, was down on the little beach and he came and joined us. And suddenly there was five of us. And then the day after we bought tea, and we didn't know how long this was going to happen or continue, but it felt like something different. Cause like at the time we were maybe 32 or 33, Hugo was like 18 and Caroline was maybe three years younger and Neil was like 15 years older. So suddenly it was like, wow, these are like different age friends that I, that are kind of out of our friend norm. And this is just kind of happening in its own organic, beautiful way. And it was like, I don't know how long we're going to continue doing this, but it feels like something special. And like the 1st of October came and we swam on the 1st of October. And then Caroline would say, well, that, that's membership paid for the month. We better keep going. And we didn't know how long we'd keep doing it. And the, the thing that brought us back, it wasn't the, the cold sea and the fact that you felt really good after it. It was the, what we call in Ireland, the crack, which means the fun. Like the fun of doing it together and the fun of feeling like little children kind of facing your common adversary, the sea, the cold, fear and discomfort and that you'd face it together. And afterwards you'd come out and, I guess the cold water, you'd kind of feel very present and you'd feel very grateful because you've, you're no longer in the cold sea uh, and, and you kind of form these really beautiful friendships. And we've kind of, it's gone from, I guess that where there's been times there's been a thousand people on the beach and we do big public ones to whereas nowadays, you know, it depends on the day. There could be anywhere from two people to a hundred to 200 people, depending on the day. And it's, it's this beautiful, we just do it every day at sunrise. And it's, it's something that, I guess enriches our lives in so many different ways because it's i guess it's connecting with nature it's you see the change so we spend at sunrise every day so in winter it's a the latest sunrise on december 21st 22nd 23rd 24th is 8 40 and then in summer it's at 4 50 a.m so you're, you're changing with the seasons you're seeing the tides change you're seeing the sunrise change position so there's something beautiful about that and there's something beautiful about having to face your your fear because you get out of bed and you're kind of like I don't want to get in the sea like every day, but you just, you get over it. So it's, it's beautiful. Okay. Anyone come join us anytime. People from all over the world come join us. It's do they? Yeah. I should fly over and do it. Yeah, yeah, every other day. People from all over the world. So it's, yeah, it's fun. It's beautiful. Yeah. We love it. 
Yeah. Sounds awesome. And to create a kind of community around it as well. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's kind of just happened. I guess we've learned that if you show up and you kind of create the space, people just, you know, can support you and join you. And I'm not saying we created it, kind of happened. But it's, uh, I guess we've learned consistency or kind of discipline or commitment to something is so vital for anything to grow. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And what about in terms of like your um, morning routine after that? Are there certain things that you do that you think, you know, you find really set you up for the day? Yeah, I guess everyone's different and like and everyone will have a different chronotype as in whether they're an early bird or a night owl, as in there's someone that's predisposed mm-hmm. to get up early. I think it's typically 30% of people are early birds. That's Daisy, just wonder. That's Daisy, the little dog barking a little bit. Um, so typically 30% of people are early birds, 30 to 40% of people are night owls, and then everyone in the middle has the ability to, to go either way. Um, but we're early birds, so typically, like in summer, I'll get up from at 4.30 a.m., so it's pretty early. Uh, and then after swim, I'll go do some form of training, and that varies from it could be running, it could be swimming, it could be yoga, it could be handstands, it could be calisthenics, it could be press-ups, it could be whatever. So we tend to mix it up. We found... Over the years, for about 10 years, even 15 years, we used to do Ashtanga yoga every day. And we were really rigid and black and white with it. And we became very flexible in certain ways, but we became very rigid in other ways. And then we found um, it hugely beneficial for us to really mix up our training and mix up, you know, whatever type of physical exercise we were doing. And it just we found it more fun as well. So we typically do that. Some days we could be meditating. Some days it could be breath work. So we'll typically do that for an hour and then I'll go and have recce with the family and bring the kids to school if it's school. And if it's not, I'll head off to work. But uh, for us, morning time is really, I don't know, it's kind of, it's the time when there's less responsibilities and obligations in terms of work or in terms of other things. And typically people aren't phone you. So you can kind of, it, it kind of sets us up. And for anyone listening, it might be the evening time for them. But that's for us, That's that kind of really suits us. And we find it, doing it together because you know swimming in the sea i probably wouldn't do half the times but the fact that i'm meeting others to do it and similarly in terms of training like even this morning i didn't really want to get up but i i said i'd meet dave i said i'd meet raj so i showed up and you know you start together and you get a bit of a laugh and then suddenly it's like wow i did way more than i meant to do and it was good crack yeah it holds you accountable doesn't it yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it and there is something magical actually it's funny because i'm also a morning morning chronotype and there is something just so magical about getting up early, especially like before the kids are up and having that time to do whatever you want. And generally, I'm the same. I'll move my body in some way. I'll meditate, do some breath work, that kind of thing. But it just my entire day goes on a different trajectory than if I if I kind of miss that. I could skip one day and it probably wouldn't change things too much. But after that, I'd get really kind of agitated because I think it's like any habit, isn't it? Your body starts to prompt you to do it. And if there's a reward and it feels really good, you just want to do more of it. Yeah, so, totally yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's dive into the cooking because you make plants. But I, I think part of your um, mission is to make plant-based eating kind of sexy. And it, your food is delicious. It looks, it's just incredible. I think I was like salivating looking at your videos. Um what would you say for someone who maybe isn't, because I'm always trying to persuade, particularly women, to eat more plants because it's so good for hormones. You know, so many women in the kind of stressful society that we're living in and then also making that transition through perimenopause into menopause are struggling with hormonal imbalances. And I think just having that extra fiber in your diet, A, optimizes your microbiome, but it also helps you detoxify things like excess estrogen. Um well, what would you say for someone who wants to get started putting more plants into their diet, how they can go about that? Yeah, I think um, wow, there's so, so many different ways they could go with that. Uh, in terms of food, like we're all a product of our environment. And right now, unfortunately, like if you look to the blue zones, which they're the five areas in the planet where there's the most amount of centenarians, that's people who've lived over the age of 100. And typically they don't live these long, healthy lives because they won the genetic lottery or because they're superhuman. It's because their environment forces them to make the healthy choice. So their environment forces them to move. They typically don't own cars. They got a cycle. They grow their own veg. They're down. They live in multi-generational homes. They're minding kids. They cycle everywhere they go. So that's in terms of movement and in terms of diet. They typically live in environments where there's not a proliferation of junk food. So they typically only have you know, typically 95% plus of their diet are whole plant foods. However, when you compare that to the 
average diet in the Western civilization, such as, you know, America, Canada, the UK, Ireland, typically 50 to 55% of all calories are ultra processed foods. 40% typically is animal foods and less than 10% is whole food. So unfortunately our environment and anyone who is young kids, like right now it's November the third, second, second, yes, second. Uh, all day long and uh, anyone who was out trick-or-treating <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> trick -treat for Halloween like when we used to trick-or-treat as kids we get mostly apples oranges and we get monkey nuts which is a term for like peanuts in their shell raw peanuts whereas when we went trick-or-treating with my kids um two nights ago they got about five kilos of absolute junk like and it was just the proliferation of sugar in west and just processed foods is just and it's so ubiquitous. Like at school, my kids regularly, the teachers give them jellies. It was like, again, hell, this is everywhere. So we've become a product of our environment. And at the moment, our environment is forcing us to sit in the couch, to be super comfortable and to eat junk foods because our mammal brain is hardwired. Like the number one determinant of how much pleasure you get from food. Like if I was to ask you, what's your, what's the best meal you ever had? And what made it so good? What would you say? What would I say? Yeah, but like what makes one meal better than another? Like why, if I was to ask you, what was your best meal ever? And you could think of it now, what made it the best meal ever? Usually actually it's the experience, the people that I'm with, as much as it is the food. I think mm -hmm. it's kind of the experience of it. But for me, I'm, I, don't, I don't have a massively sweet tooth. So it's kind of like zingy kind of flavors, healthy fats, like, you know, herbs, things like that. I love it. I kind of quite a light eater, I'd say. And then if you were to go deeper, like more like at an absolute rudimentary, biological, absolute kind of sustainable level, what is the number one determinant of how much pleasure you get from your food? How much you enjoy the taste right while you're eating and then in terms of taste what would make chocolate tastier than spinach it's more satisfying it's the fat i mean mm -hmm. i love dark chocolate but i guess the sugar it's that it's the in terms of hyper palatable foods yeah, it's so those so, kind of sensory things that you're getting when you're eating them so so it boils down to calories chocolate has two and a half thousand calories per pound versus yeah, spinach sure. has a hundred so if you think about it, our goal as human mammals is to survive and the more calories in our food the longer we're going to survive for so we're hardwired to crave foods that are higher in fat because fat is twice the calories compared to protein and carbohydrate and also we're hard we're hardwired to crave foods that have more embedded energy per mouthful so that's so we're, we're hardwired to crave processed foods junk foods high fat foods it's in us like you walk past a chip shop and no matter who you are you go love a bag of chips you know i'd love a bag of french fries it's just it, it's in us it's it's just it's in the very dna it's like when they pump out the bread as you go into oh, a grocery store and you're just yeah, like oh that smells you're incredible just like, oh delicious yeah. so, so so it's really challenging and that's why it's almost an act of rebellion to eat a predominantly whole food plant-based diet like if you look at the uk the average fiber intake is somewhere between 16 and 18 grams whereas the recommended fiber intake is 30 grams per day so as a society, we are way under eating fiber. Fiber, you only get fruits, beds, beans, legumes, nuts and seeds, and whole grains. So whole foods. So like for anyone listening, it's not about being vegan. It's not about being vegetarian. It's just trying to eat more whole foods. And it could be like you're, you're making a chicken curry, put a tin of chickpeas in it, put a handful of spinach in it. If you're eating breakfast, have a banana, have an apple. But it's like little things done consistently over a period of time have massive compounding effects and i'd like uh, you mentioned your microbiome so we've done a course with a consultant gastroenterologist that's a, a gut health doctor dr alan desmond and based on the um american gut project the number one two and three thing you can do for your gut health where 70 percent of your immune system exists is food food and food and the best thing you can do is eat whole foods, as much whole foods as possible. And the second most important thing is to focus on diversity, to aim to get more than 30 different types of fruit and veg per week. And typically they found that only one in 250 people actually do that. So it's like- One in 250. Oh, wow, we did that. 250, so we're we did a we did a, a challenge actually a plant based challenge in my membership uh, to eat thirty different plants and I was I think that's probably a healthier section of the population because some of them were like 40, 50 plus in yeah, a week yeah. they were doing amazing but one in two hundred and fifty people yeah. that yes. I knew it was going to be low but that does yeah that's surprising oh yes well I guess this is the society at large and I think I guess the thing is just to start and that we're all a product of our environment and the more we can 
you know, there's research shown that, you know, health is contagious as is ill health contagious. Like it was the network piece of research where they found out that if you're friends with someone who's obese, you're 48% more likely to be obese. If you're a friend of a friend is obese, you're 25% more likely to be obese. If you're a friend of a friend, so three times removed, you're 11% likely to be obese. And similarly, if you're friends with someone who's healthy, you're much more likely to be healthy. So the message is that not in any shape or form to fat shame anyone or to say anything, but it's that health is contagious. Our environment, we are social creatures and we are a product of our environment. And if you live in an environment that's full with health, filled with ill healthy friends, get one healthy friends. It's not about dissing your own healthy friends. Get one healthy friend and it'll make it more likely that you're going to eat healthier and join different clubs. But we're social creatures and we tend to ape or copy the rest of our tribe. Yeah, that's very true. It makes a massive difference. It's just yeah. going to hope that you don't bring that <laughs> healthy person down. Yeah, yeah, of course not. No. <laughs> no, it's about helping each other and it's yeah, about exactly. all of us collectively just supporting each other to, to do which is hard to do is to eat more whole foods. Yeah. And it's not true. an all or nothing thing. It's baby steps. Yeah. And little bits, like you were saying, just add in, like, you know, chuck a handful of spinach into the curry, as you're saying, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What does a typical day in, in your life look like in terms of eating? and uh, Eating. Wow. Okay. I can talk you through today. Let's see. I got up this morning around half five. Uh, did a bit of meditate, went swimming, came back. I was meeting Hugo, a friend, and I had a Americano. And we had, we were testing different types of overnight oats in the kitchen. So I tried those two. Then I came into the studio and I was starving. And Dave was testing and um, kind of using one of these pressure cookers, these kind of five minute pressure cooker dinners. And he cooked kind of this. It was kind of a lentil-based dal that took him five minutes to make. And I had that, I had two bowls of that at 10 o'clock. And then at about, then at about 11 o'clock there, I had two bowls of granola. We make different types of granola and I had that. Um, I'm headed into the cafe. We're doing a supper club on um, food from Istanbul. And Didim's a chef, one of our chefs. She's brilliant. And she's testing recipes for that. So we'll try that. Um, so our lives are around food. So it's like every day is different. It could be... We could be testing sourdough bread that we're baking. We could be doing the coffee and the roastery tasting things. We could be testing pestos. We could, it's, it's always, I guess our life is around food. So it's, yeah, it's really fun. And what really a delicious fun. way to live your life. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we're lucky we love food. So it's great. Yeah, it really is fun. Yeah. And actually, and both of you have got very good, like abs and body composition. That's all from like the act, active lifestyle you live alongside it, presumably. It doesn't yeah, sound it, like you specifically go to the gym to... No, I, 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 I think we're all mammals and we kind of tend to live, you know, as humans, we seek comfort and we avoid discomfort. But like as humans, we're meant to move, like we're hardwired to move. Movement is what keeps us healthy. And unfortunately, modern day society doesn't force us to move. So I think the more we can create an environment where we're forced to move, the healthier it is, because now we, we've kind of resorted to exercise, you know, exercise, which is a subset of movement. We, we tend to, I go to the gym, like, and I sit around all day long besides that, but it's kind of, you know, research kind of shows that we're better off moving consistently throughout the day and setting our day up where we're forced to move and it makes us feel better, feel happier and makes it easier to promote health within us. And typically if you do move or exercise, you're more likely to choose the healthier choice. You know, I know myself and I'm sitting around feeling tired and crap and I'm hankering for a bar of chocolate. If I even just go for a little walk, I'll come back and I probably want a glass of water and then I probably go... I won't bother with the chocolate. So it's like, uh, I think the more we can, again, surround ourselves with people who consistently move regularly throughout the day, it's, it's easier to do it and it makes it fun. Like I think one of the keys to making exercise routines sustainable is fun, doing with friends, do things you like. Don't go to the gym if you don't like the gym. Go do dancing or go do something. Maybe it's hiking up a mountain. Maybe it's singing and walking or whatever it is. But like, I think fun is sustainable, whereas toil and hardship typically, um, you know, it's hard to sustain. Willpower, you know, typically environmental design will outstrip um, willpower every day of the week. Yeah, 100%. But you're right, you kind of crave the, that movement as well. I know like when like, I'm at a standing desk here and initially before I'd made that transition, I was used to think I had to sit down to really con concentrate. Do you know what I mean? I had to be seated to sort of do my best work. And over time, what I found is actually now I work better when I'm standing up or I've just got my store perks behind me because you fidget more, you move more, you get more blood flow to the brain and it just feels better. I get way less back pain, for example, you know, when I'm recording things like that, if I've got a day like today. 
day. And and now I've just moved away from kind of sitting at my desk. I do all the other things like the walking stuff on top, but even just simple things like that, like changing your work setup to accommodate more standing and moving, uh, it just makes such a difference to productivity as much as anything else and mood. Yeah, yeah, I think it's little things, I guess, that compound consistently. You know, we'll do typically walking meetings. If I'm doing phone calls, I'll typically walk on them. And I know I tend to be quite like maybe you're similar, a little bit fidgety, a little bit kind of restless that I kind of need to move. And when I move, I kind of feel like, oh, now I can kind of sit still for a little bit. But if I don't move, I'm kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit on edge. And then I think better when I move, you know. Yeah, I, I do. just tend to be more, feel more creative or feel more at ease within myself. So, I, I, And I think many of us are the same, that movement keeps us healthy, keeps us sane, keeps us, keeps the lymph in our body moving. Like our lymphatic system is the brains of our immune system. And it doesn't have a pump. Like if you look at your cardiovascular system, it is a pump to pump your blood around your body. Your lymphatic system doesn't have a pump. And the only pump it has is movement. And our primary fuel source, like when people are tired, most people go, oh, I'll have chocolate or I'll have coffee or I'll have alcohol or I'll turn to some sort of upper stimulant. But our primary fuel source is actually oxygen. You know, if you think about it, like, the longest recorded period of time for anyone surviving without food is 368 days. Without water, typically you'd last a week. And without oxygen, you'd, you'd be doing well to last five minutes. So it just highlights how important oxygen is in terms, of, in terms of our existence. And the only way we get more oxygen is movement. So it's like exercise is just so vital to every aspect of our well-being. Yeah, so true. So true. I think oxygen as well and light, as you're saying, when you go out early in the morning. I'm curious, do you go and catch the sun setting on um, a daily basis or not, not so much? Just no, no I, I guess we, you've kind of you've got to make peace, or at least I've had to make peace. You can't do it all. And like sunrise, at least in summer when it's at 4.50 a.m., I'm not getting, I'm not staying up at 11. I'm in bed at nine. I'm like, a, I'm like a, a, an old man. I'm very happy. I go to bed. I can fall asleep <laughs> with kids or my 12-year-old who nearly took me into bed. Night, night, daddy. You know, like, so like, no, I guess, like there, there are things that I love to do. I love to swim at sunrise. It's like I, I do it every day when I'm at home. But if I'm away in London or I'm away somewhere else, that nah, doesn't happen. You know, I do it whenever I'm at home. I do it. And that's 300 and whatever, 50 days of the year. I do it. And I love it. But I've, I guess I've learned to be less rigid with things. And that is like, you know, I'm pretty rigid about swimming at sunrise. So I'm kind of almost contradicting myself. But light, yeah, I think, getting out, you know, we, we tend to forget, you know, 70% of us approximately live in urban environments and that we forget that human beings, we are part of the natural world and that being in nature, nature is a different rhythm. Like for anyone who lives, like we live in kind of an, a suburban environment, but I could be in Greystones and it, there's, there's a little bit of a, you know, I got to get through my list. I got to do stuff. There's this urgency and this like kind of undercurrent of stress. Whereas when I come up to the farm and I come to typically our farm, it's out um, in, I guess, the middle of countryside. And then I come out and I kind of arrive and I got, I got 10 minutes because I got to get down to here and this and I have this tight schedule. And as soon as you open the door and you get it, it's like, ah. it's like a different nature has this different rhythm. Mm, nature isn't going to, to like dominate and get through a list nature is the epitome of just presence and I, I know for myself when i get out of the farm it's suddenly it's like oh yeah all is well and i think the more at least i spend time in nature the more i go from being a human doing to be a human being and i feel more at ease and more comfortable and more like grounded and i think it's so true for us all like that we we benefit from spending time in nature in the natural world and that the more we spend time disconnected from it the the more we're gonna have challenges of term mental health because we are nature. We're yeah, for sure. Well, there's a study, haven't they, like with trees, just even looking at a tree yeah. outside your window. I was reading an article the other day around how I think they had a row of trees in a forest and they cut a branch on the end of one tree and they were measuring the uh, frequency, like the electrons and vibration on a tree really far away and it could sense as soon as the branch and just how it's all interconnected. And you feel like that, don't you, when you go into a forest, for example, it just kind of envelops you. They're really amazing. Oh, totally. Like this on the farm we use, so we use regenerative um, organic practices. So you don't open the soil because there's micro rhizal. It's a micro rhizal or like the mycelium network. So they're like the data cables or it's kind of like a fungal network that kind of encompasses like just in the, the little topsoil. And it's where nutrients are shared. It's where um, plants can share nutrients. They can they can actually change the pH of a soil. And typically they found a friend, Charles Dowd, and he's kind of one of the forefathers of 
the No Dig movement. And every year he's been doing it for about 12 to 14 years where he'll grow one bed organically with traditional organic practice and the other one No Dig, where they won't till the soil and break up this mycorrhizal and won't release carbon into the atmosphere. And every year the No Dig bed will typically yield 10 to 15% in terms of greater volume of, of vegetables. And, and I think it's so true with so much of, of nature that it just, it has this wonderful ability to work together and we're part of nature and we tend to forget it. We, we think nature is there at our disposal, you know, for us to dominate and to abuse and to use its resources. But, you know, we're part of nature too. And the more we respect it and work harmoniously with it, the more it will work with us. Yeah, yeah, so true. So amazing. Um, before you go, I want to ask you just because this is super interesting to me. I haven't had anyone. You were talking there about your um, brother and how you are kind of 95% or 99.5% genetically the same. It's really, and and just how he was just so on board with you when you wanted to do the business and things. Do you find that you're so, it must be an incredible experience, like you're so connected that you can sense each other's feelings. Like, what is it like to be an identical twin? Um, I guess I know nothing else, but to us, it's, for partners, it can be challenging. Um, I know my wife can sometimes find it challenging in that whenever I have a problem, I'll always go to Dave first because he understands me without me even having to talk. And many people um, who aren't twins are always looking for that other person who will accept them unconditionally, who will understand them without even talking. And I guess we're blessed in that we were born with that, that you always have this person that will, no matter how stupid your idea, they go, great idea. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, let's go do it. So like, I guess we're so fortunate in that regard. And I think the challenge of it is that and um, we can both have the same blind spots and um, you know we could both come up with a ridiculous idea and we'll go that's brilliant keep going and we'll keep going and then you realize actually that was a stupid idea why do we do that? <laughs> you know there are challenges too there's challenges in terms of our relationships that we tend to you know we'll always defend each other as this kind of um almost a, a, a reflex like as in if someone says something negative about Dave I'll immediately defend him you know the way actually but actually, actually thinking about it so you know there's pros and cons but I guess mm. we adore it and it, it, it kind of enriches our lives in so so many different ways and I think it I remember watching I think there was this um video Simon Sinek did where there was a festival happening and there was one person dancing and they looked like the lunatic and he was kind of commenting on it saying that it's not the first person that's the most important for a movement. It's the second person. And over, like the person's dancing his own, he's kind of commenting and he says, and he's kind of commenting. And then the second person joins the movement. And suddenly when that second person joined, the lunatic is no longer on their own. And suddenly it's socially appropriate to join. And suddenly within a matter of moments, a whole you know movement of dancers started to take part. And we've kind of found that regularly if I'm traveling on my own, I'm in the airport, it's like, no, it doesn't feel appropriate to go over into that corner there and do yoga or do handstands. I'll just look stupid. But when there's two of us, suddenly it's like you're a pack and suddenly people coming up telling you you're weird. They're kind of slightly intimidated because there's two of you and there's a bit of momentum in it. So we found because there's two of us and we tend to support each other um, almost um, unconsciously, it, it tends to you're kind of less afraid of things and you're kind of willing to take on more ridiculous ideas. So yeah, it's good and bad, but we adore. Yeah, I can see it's a, I think it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you look at siblings who are not, you know, twins, often they're quite, they can be quite competitive with each other and for that kind of space with their parents as well. Have you found that the closeness that the two of you have translates in turn almost like your, your own kids model that relationship with their siblings or is it kind of unique to being an identical twin um we're, we're still highly competitive like we could be cycling down from greystones down to Pearville, and we'll both be cycling side by side and 10 yards out from a day we'll have a sprint to win like and this is 242 that way but in terms of our kids i guess their kids as we always say to our kids um i have three kids and dave has two kids and our, our, our kids are genetically um half brothers and sisters because if they were to measure whether i was the father of his kids or he was the father of my kids they wouldn't be able to tell because we have the same dna so it's weird and it's slightly strange it sounds odd me saying it but yeah so they're really close and they're real i guess they've always just grown up like we both have 12 year olds we both have nine year olds and then i have a six year old so you know the kids are very much it's kind of just happened in its own little weird way that our children are within two months of each other <laughs> 
That's so nice. It's so yeah, nice. It's wonderful. Like it's such such fun, and I just yeah, it's, yeah, it's totally incredible. Well, before you go, what would you say? Like when you look at this, you've got obviously got amazing success, both of you in your business ventures um, that you do. You've got beautiful family life. You kind of the epitome of really having it all. What would you say is the key thing that has helped you be successful and remain grounded at the same time? Yeah, I think success is arbitrary. And I think no matter where you're standing, like you're always going to have challenges, like the nature of the human existence. Like even if you're top of the mountain, there's still wind up there and there's still going to be rainy days and there's still crap. So I think like to anyone listening, I think success is arbitrary. And I think no matter where we stand in life, there's always challenges. And that's the beauty of life. There's, there has to be duality. There has to be night. There has to be dark. There has to be good. There has to be bad. And that's the beauty of it. And I think the more we can learn to appreciate that, that struggle is part of life and that like bring it on. And I don't mean bring it on in a macho way, but it's like accept it and, you know, learn to kind of to walk through it and to appreciate that it's part of it and anything worthwhile, there has to be challenge. So, so I, I think, I'm sorry to not answer your question directly, but, but I think, you know, a, a, anything is possible if you want it. And if you don't want it, that's totally cool. You know, I, I think just to appreciate that, Let's see, where am I? If, if I kind of sum this up in a, in, a, in a more succinct way, I think to anyone listening, if there is something that you dream of and there is something that you aspire towards, I think take a baby step. I think tell someone, like have a bit of social accountability, try to get someone to join you in the journey. It makes it a lot more fun. And it also helps balance the risk. If you're someone that wants to start a business and you're really good at creating, really good at starting things, but you're crap at numbers or you're really financially illiterate, get an accountant to work with you or to join your team. It can make it more fun and balance out your skill set. And I think be committed to what you do and have a laugh. I think we found in our experience with running a business, if you're enjoying it and you're having fun, people are much more likely to help you when you're struggling and when the shit hits the fan and things aren't going wrong. Whereas if you're stressed out of your head and you're, you know, uptight and you're worried about everything, you know, things are going to kind of go wrong. But if you kind of can approach it with lightness of heart and with, you know, an appreciation that there is going to be problems, there is going to be challenges and that you're you're willing to take them on. I think you're much more likely to kind of get through them. That's been our experience, you know, and we're far from, you know, we're on the journey too. We're flawed humans fumbling along in the world, doing our best. But I guess <laughs> trying to have more good days than bad days and try to appreciate it all, appreciate the rain, appreciate the sunshine, appreciate yeah. the, you know, when the birds so shit in your head. It is that duality, isn't it? That's what yeah. I appreciate. It's the rainy days that help you appreciate the sunny months. That's the thing. Life. And that's the huge problem that I have with social media is it, it portrays this idea that everything is awesome. Yay! And I can have it all. <laughs> it's like, no, there has to be shit days. If there's going to be good days, every day can't be a great day. And it's like, learn to appreciate the shit days and learn to appreciate the kind of downstroke that life can't be one upstroke. There has to be a downstroke. And that's why sometimes the middle is beautiful too. Yeah. So maybe, true. Maybe not the most optimistic point to end on, but maybe there's a touch of reality too. No. And I think that's, I think that's what we need. Cause as you say, I think social media presents a different format. Everyone's showing their best side, their best thing, you know, yeah. uh, and life isn't really like that. And as you say, it is kind of, the, I mean, it's one of the universal laws, isn't it? The law of duality, polarity, there's always, everything has an opposite to it, positive yeah. and a negative. Um, yeah. You have an app where people I think can get started on this journey, right? You're making it e yeah. even easier now. Tell me about that before you go. Yes, yeah, so back about 10 years ago, we started doing healthy cooking courses and people would do them with us and we found they wouldn't change. They'd have a good laugh and they'd learn to cook a few recipes, but they wouldn't change. And then after a couple of months, Dave had this idea. I wonder, he was reading this book by um, a cardiologist who had shown in clinical trials, you could reverse the indicators of cardiovascular disease in a year in America. And Dave kind of went, I wonder, would this work in Irish people? Uh, in our little <laughs> shop here and could we do it in four weeks so we went down to the local doctors got a nurse involved Angela and we put up posters this is 10 years ago so social media wasn't really around so we literally put up posters on lampposts and around the town and in the shop and said kind of reverse heart disease skinny sexy free and we had 20 people sign up and they came up to us and we were chefs so we were teaching them how to cook to eat a whole food plant-based diet Angela measured everyone's cholesterol weight and blood pressure and we put them on a whole food plant-based diet for four weeks and kind of preached about, we kind of videos of doctors talking about how it was actually going to work in terms of um, the medically. And at the end of the four weeks, we didn't know it was going to work. We thought we promised like all sorts of promises. We didn't know if it was going to work. Like this was based on American science. And it was like, 
you know, we're Irish people and we're chefs. Like, who the hell are we to know? Uh, but there was an average drop of cholesterol of 20%. Everyone's blood pressure regulated. Um, people lost weight. There was even two blind people who did the course that were unbelievably able to see again. That bit was a joke. That was a total joke. I was going to yeah, say. You think it's you like this. But, but, it, but it was a great reminder that simple diet has a massive impact on one of the greatest, ki- one of the largest killers um, of premature death in Western civilization. And from that, we partner with cardiologists, we partner with gastroenterologists, we partner with uh, neurologists, we partner with gynecologists, we partnered with urologists and um, various different medical experts to kind of teach people the simple things of lifestyle medicine that's what you do what you eat how you move how you exercise how you sleep how you approach stress how you approach community can have a massive impact in your life and most people know what it is to be healthy but they struggle to actually apply it so our app or membership platform is all about supporting people to be healthier and happier and through these courses and through live events and recipes and breath work and yoga it's pretty cool we love it we're having a great time with it. very cool We'll yeah. link to that uh, in the yeah. show notes so people can go and find it and check it out. Yeah, um, we, we do have a menopause, a, a happy menopause course coming out later this month uh, with a consultant gynecologist, which is pretty cool. Very cool. That's coming out in November. That's coming out 14th of November. 14th of November. So it yeah. should be live by the time this airs. Yeah. Um, oh, amazing. We will link to all of that. Thank you so much uh, oh, for coming on the show and sharing yeah. your time. It's been super fun. Uh, it's just your energy is incredible. It's, it's lovely to be around you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Come visit any time or come swim at Sunrise. Anyone, you, Angela, or anyone, anyone listen. Come, we swim in the cove in Greystones every day. Sunrise. You're welcome. Yeah. I need to head out there and do it. <laughs> Sounds incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.